and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Kissing a Fool, Chapter 5 of the Friends Stravaganza. It continues to rage on. And now we have Bonnie Hunt here. Well, I mean, we do, but she is not the, the focus of this movie. Uh, no, but it's just a, a great day when we can add Bonnie Hunt into Contrarian's <laughs> canon. Yes, just one of the many uh, beautiful side effects of the Friends Stravaganza. And Sammy Sosa, uh, one of the home run kings of 1998 as well. Uh, I expect to have to explain to you who that is when we get there, Julio. But yes, because I was about to say, is Sammy Sosa <laughs> the guy that's sitting with Bunny Hunt at her table? And then, and then you said home run. I'm like, oh, no. Okay, so it's that guy that talks to Ross. <laughs> Where Ross is like, uh, what are you doing here, Sammy Sosa? <laughs> Well, hello, and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. I already called him out, but the, my co-host on the other side of this here is my buddy Julio. We are here to continue on the Friend Stravaganza, which has uh, been quite the hoot thus far and continues to be so with today's entry, Kissing a Fool from 1998. Uh, we've moved along to the Ross chapter as David Schwimmer stars, and this is Max Abbott. A bit, Abbott, A B B I T T. He's a fucking sportscaster for WGN. I marked out so hard when his little microphone gimmick said WGN because growing up in Ohio, WGN. I'm, I'm almost positive it was Channel Twelve. It was a Chicago uh, affiliate, and I remember it had a fantastic cartoon lineup. That's uh, that's where I would watch like Batman the Animated Series and shit. So they didn't make up a network for him. No, WGN was very real. Wow, what else is real in this movie? Now I'm wondering. Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa. <laughs> uh, Bonnie Hunt. And uh, uh, I think you're going to have to, as much as I'll help you out with Sammy Sosa, the, the female lead in this is someone <laughs> I have literally no knowledge of being uh, Millie uh, Avital. Well, Do you know Alex, I know right? her from this movie called Kissing a Fool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, she's also in Stargate. So there you go. Hmm. <laughs> the TV show or the movie? The movie. Okay. That I was a God, wild cast on that movie. Much like Kissing a Fool. Anyway, Ross Geller. We've made it to this point. In the French Travaganza, only one friend remains after this. 
It's exciting <laughs> times. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, building up our, our Ross, our friend's knowledge. Like I've been becoming reacquainted. And in your case, you've been learning a lot of new stuff that you didn't know about. <laughs> I've been coming acquainted with uh, <laughs> yes. friends. <laughs> uh, and of all that, also returning to The Contrarians is director Doug Ellen, uh, who we previously discussed in the 2015 Entourage, which um, I imagine we're going to be a bit nicer about Mr. Ellen today. It's We thought Entourage was just the peak of his career. Little did we know that he had reached even higher heights uh, back in 98. Did you know this was his previous directorial credit? Was this movie? So, so he had made a movie in nearly 20 years. Uh, from so the he made this movie. Chair. Then he just devoted himself to Entourage, the TV show, and then he made the Entourage movie. Well, before he did that, he devoted himself to Life with Bonnie, an ABC television sitcom starring, you guessed it, Bonnie Hunt. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> I uh, That doesn't seem like a collaboration that I would have, you know, Bonnie Hunt and Doug Ellen is uh, like, I don't remember Bonnie Hunt ever get starring in entourage you know she doesn't like date turtle or something (laughs) no no you're thinking of ronda rousey oof oof holy shit ronda rousey the fighter i love her get in the car all right well we've set the table here and just to set the stage for who we are uh here on the contrarians if this is your first time listening thank you so much for doing so if you're a returning listener give us just a moment here while we explain what it is we do to any and all potential new listeners out there Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. We will find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh. And what we'll do is cut that movie down to size, discuss potentially some of the negative aspects behind it, be it poor acting, odd directing choices, uh, questionable story writing tropes, things of that nature. And then conversely, we'll find a film on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, uh, usually about 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches. And as you could assume... Uh, what we'll do is speak to that film's uh, merit, its positive merit. Uh, maybe some bold directing choices. Score is something we talk about quite often. Uh, underrated acting or just aspects that maybe critics didn't understand. They just couldn't comprehend. Raging Against the Rotten Tomatoes Machine, as we continue to do, we do this in an attempt to show, number one, that uh, the shit is subjective. You can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or if you have your mind set to it, you can be just downright cynical about something. And then also uh, speak to kind of the fact that the the Rotten Tomatoes system, you know, those scores as you read them don't always tell the whole story. Uh, and Rotten Tomatoes themselves definitely don't go out of their way to explain that. So we try to do, do some of the legwork for them. But that all comprises the first portion, the first part, the first half of our podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how you really feel about the movie, Du jour, the movie we're discussing, they just have to hang around for part two. That's correct. Part two of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you about our real feelings for every movie that we talk about. It no longer matters what the Run Tomato score is. All that matters is our experience with the movie. And an episode like this one, where it's a movie that neither of us had seen before, it's a complete surprise what the other one is going to say. Once we get to real talk, I don't know what Alex, how Alex really feels about kissing a fool, and he doesn't know how I feel. So we're all going to be learning stuff, not just the audience, but the hosts as well. Alex, 
This is what, 29%? 29%. So yeah, in the first portion, at least here, we're going to be singing the praises of this. Well, it's not going to be hard, Alex, because David Schwimmer, you know, we got nothing but love for David Schwimmer in this podcast, as proven by constant references to trust and what else <laughs> do we know him from? <laughs> Did you know David Schwimmer from anything other than Friends and Trust? I mean, he's, he's Greenzo on 30 Rock. There you go. I knew. Growing that up, he was just fucking Ross <laughs> from Friends. And then I saw the movies he made, uh, which, of course, we'll get into uh, at a later time. His uh, directing does not really match the Ross Geller persona. I'll just say that. But then also, doesn't he do one of the voices in the Madagascar franchise? Yes. Uh, I think he's the giraffe. Okay. It's him, Ben Stiller, and Chris Rock and Jada Pinkett Smith. No, is it really? Yep. My God. <laughs> Chris Rock is a zebra. Jerry Pinkett Smith is a hippo. Jesus. Will didn't even take into account <laughs> that fucking franchise when he did that. <laughs> he was on the Entourage as well. He had an appearance on that. And um, you know him. I'm just going over his credentials now because I remember in a previous episode, you went on length about uh, the people versus OJ Simpson where he plays Robert Kardashian. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. In fact little behind the scenes that our patrons already know, uh, we did toy with the idea of doing an episode of uh, The People vs. O.J. Simpson as one of the French extravaganza uh, bits for mm-hmm. us. But but no, I'm glad that we went with uh, with Kissing a Fool and, uh, and his directorial work for uh, After Hours. Because that's, you know, he's not the star of The, the People vs. O.J. Simpson. It's not The People vs. Ross Geller as much as I would have enjoyed that. All right, Julio, Ross is the topic of the day, and I'm kind of glad because some of the other movies we've done so far with the Friends Travaganza, uh, the are you know our Friends characters, be it Joey, Phoebe, Monica, Chandler, aren't necessarily the focus of it. I think the closest we've come to it is um, obviously Romy and Michelle and then Almost Heroes, uh, where it's kind of like a co-star type affair, but. Man, even with uh, Jason Lee in here returning to the Contrarians, it really feels like Ross is the focus of this, that David Schwimmer is like the name on this. And uh, I mean, rightfully so, of course. But um, I don't know. Do you feel that way? I feel like this was definitely the biggest vehicle of any of these that we've done so far. Yes. I mean, so Joey, Matt LeBlanc was kind of co-leading with William Hurt. Uh, Corny Cox was co-leading with uh, Nev Campbell. Lisa Kudrow was uh, co-leading with uh, Mia Servito. And then, of course, Matthew Perry was co-leading with Chris Farley. And I think that it was even. Yeah. like, But it's so much more obvious here. Like, Schwimmer even gets top billing. Oh, I did notice that. Mm-hmm. God. Jason Lee was like, I wasn't chasing Amy. Uh, what year was this? 98. He's like, two years from now, I'm going to be in a fucking movie called Almost Famous. Then we'll see what's what. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I guess the thing is that, yes, they're co-leads. But in this case, yeah, I feel the 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 star power that David Schwimmer brings kind of offsets the balance. And it's not a bad thing because that, that kind of plays with what the movie's doing. That's what his character is supposed to be. He's supposed to uh, be overbearing when it comes to... Uh, you know, his best friend, the Jason Lee character. And in in real life, I guess, you know, David Schumer's persona is also overbearing when it comes to the the more limited star power of Jason Lee. 
it's it's good. I think I'm glad it was. It, it's kind of lucky that it, this landed as uh, part five of the Friends Extravaganza instead of us opening with this and then being disappointed at how all the other friends weren't really living up to uh, being, you know, the stars in the marquee. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're kind of like we've built up to this. We have. Uh, we're pretty much almost to the point of crescendo. Jennifer Anderson has a lot to live up to. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it, it was always going to come down to, to Rachel <laughs> being the the encore, uh, as it were. But all right, Julio. Before we get down to business here, uh, as has been the case throughout the Friends Travaganza, we have one of our wonderful friends from the podcasting community that happens to be a uh, friendsophile. I guess that would probably be the the way to describe him. Uh, I would assume, like with every other character, he's got a, a bit of a rundown on Ross for us. That's correct. Uh, yes. Billy from the We Watch a Thing podcast, probably the biggest Friends fan I know. And here he is with his thoughts on Ross Geller. Dear listeners of the single greatest podcast on earth, The Contrarians, you're back once again with the B-Dizzle from We Watch a Thing to learn about one of the greatest sitcoms on earth friends this week we're learning about the absolutely deranged ross geller as played excellently by david schwimmer i had no idea until recently that schwimmer was a classically trained theater actor and it makes so much sense from what he brings into ross ross as mentioned in an earlier episode is the brother of monica geller chandler was his roommate at college and as such he is kind of the linchpin of the group He's a sad man who loves getting divorced. His first wife, Carol, became a lesbian and left him just prior to the pilot of the show. She leaves him while pregnant with their son, Ben. Ross has pined for Rachel since high school when she was his little sister's best friend. A kind of creepy move, but that's okay because honestly, he's just hilarious. He gets fired from work for anger issues and his obsession with dinosaurs is one of the highlights of the show. For some bizarre reason early on, Ross decided to buy a monkey, and so you might often picture him with his monkey Marcel on his shoulder, although that only lasted less than a season from memory before Marcel moved to Hollywood and became a star. While Ross is deranged, he's probably actually one of the better friends. He really does care about the rest of the group. There are times where he's selfish, and yes, they were on a break, if you don't get the reference, after finally getting Rachel after pining for her for so long. On their very first fight, he sleeps with another woman. But they were on a break. They were. They absolutely were. So with all of this, Ross is my third ranked friend. I hope you're enjoying this journey through the Friends universe. And I hope you're enjoying the Contrarians, because God knows I do. And now let's throw back to them, since they're the more interesting ones. So Alex, I don't know if, if you if you feel qualified to answer this question, but... Uh, where do you land on the they were on a break debate? Was Ross in the right? Was Rachel in the right? Or do you uh, recuse yourself because you don't have all the facts? Uh, is that like he has sex with a girl, right? Yeah. Were they on a break? Well, that's the argument. He says they were. <laughs> oh, okay. Rachel says that they had a fight. Uh, yeah, you should probably establish that you're on a break if you're going to go, you know, planting seed elsewhere but um <laughs> if they were on a break then he did nothing wrong the, the debate rages on it's, it's raged on throughout the uh the entire run of the series and uh is one of those they're like arguing and then he misinterprets what she says 
Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I since I watched the episode. Because honestly, the episode where they have the fight is not as memorable as the episode where they where she finds out and then they really break up. Like that is kind of a bottle episode, you know, because they're arguing in the living room. They're having this big fight where she just found out that, you know, he slept with that girl and the other four friends are stuck in the bedroom. They can't leave because, you know, to leave means that they have to go through the living room where the fight is happening. So they're just stuck in the room trying to listen to what's happening. And uh, it's pretty funny, but it's also because it gets so bad. It's actually kind of serious. Uh, so that I always remember. I don't remember what the original fight was about. So when somebody asked me if they were on a break or not, I honestly, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can say that, you know, if I was Ross and I was dating Rachel, I would probably give it a few weeks before I absolutely risk destroying that oh, relationship. Oh, does he like immediately like go out and find some other lady? Yeah, it all happens in like one episode. Like they have a fight. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That show's dumb. <laughs> uh but hey, Ross, Ross the Ross the lady killer. Ross the heartbreaker. No See? shit, the poon hound that he is in this one. <laughs> all right, getting down to brass tacks here with Kissing a Fool released on February 27th of 1998, a budget of almost 20 million dollars, 19 million dollars. Man, this baby did not do well for itself, uh, grossing just a little over $4 million. Uh, you would think February 27th, they probably should have aimed for two weeks prior. And this is a good Valentine's Day movie. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is what your girl wants to see. David Schwimmer, the, the sweet Ross from Friends, cussing left and right. Dude, yeah, that took me by surprise. We'll get into that in just a second. But anyway, Julio, 29%. Critics made it pretty clear, as well as, well as viewing audiences made it pretty clear how they felt about it. So what uh, were, have been, and remain the words on this movie? All right. Uh, not a whole lot of reviews on the Rotten Tomatoes website, but uh, I grabbed a few uh, rotten quotes and then moved on to Letterbox for, for supplementary quotes. Uh, but we'll start with Brandon Judell. From Critics Incorporated slash America Online. He says, a little more kissing like this, and years from now, it's quite possible friends will be all Schwimmer is remembered for. Well, Brandon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the man has quite a legacy, so. Yeah. You shut your mouth. David Ludi from Film Journal International says, a weak little piece of junk romantic comedy, mercilessly and lazily and literally using nostalgia as a method of manipulation. What was the nostalgia? Yeah, I was going to say, nostalgia for what? <laughs> the 90s? <laughs> it was the 90s. Yeah, I was about to say, this is based in real time. Uh, and then we move on to Letterboxd, where Casey gives it one and a half stars and says, humans do not act this way and you can't convince me that they do. Uh, well, one they do <laughs> clearly yeah they, they, there are men that act the way that these men do uh and uh and also even if they didn't it's a movie you know they say that shit and then fucking juno is nom <laughs> was nominated for best picture <laughs> casey loves juno <laughs> um finally alex one that you hopefully will like as much as i do john gives it one star and says one star for judy greer Hell yeah. Yep. I mean, can't argue with that. I may argue with everything else, like the lack of the other four stars, but but definitely one star for Judy Greer. Yeah, for sure. Contrarian's icon, Judy Greer, making her film debut in this uh, this Really? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So th- this got her, her role in uh, The Village. It could have. I mean, it was several years beforehand. And, uh, you know, of course, now today, we know her affectionately as uh, Karen from the most recent Halloween entries, where she may or may not be dead heading into this year. <laughs> Only and she knows. We're due a trailer for that anytime soon now. So I'll, I'll judge on that if she's in the trailer. Be like, ah. Judy Greer's alive. Looking very uh, Dreamcast hot in this movie. I, I think I coined that phrase during our... Um, Never been kissed. Thank you. Yeah, because it's Jessica Alba, right? Mm-hmm. It's that very, very short window of time where like this hairstyle and clothing was very attractive. And uh, I mean, Judy Greer, she's like a fine wine, man. She's hot today <laughs> as she's ever been, but... All right, so Kissing a Fool, we kick off with the classic Universal signature. Uh, Not quite New Line, uh, but it's something that definitely makes me happy is that uh, late 90s, early 2000s Universal signature. Uh, The the classic 80s, 90s rom-com cityscape, uh, Mm -hmm. like the scan, where we sweep uh, throughout the city of whichever city this movie is taking place, and this one happens to be Chicago, but man, Think about the amount of movies we've done, like romantic comedies and shit that start that way. We are in Chicago and we go past it to the outskirts of the city um, to like this big mansion where a wedding's taking place. And we don't know who the groom is, but we see the bride played by Mila Avital, who plays Samantha in this movie. Julio, again, I, I'm not overly familiar with this young lady. How did that? And- how does this happen? How did this unknown actress land the third most important part in a David Schreiber vehicle. It is odd. It feels like an attempt to kind of make this person. Right? Like, this would be... You know what it reminded me of? And this is like Contreras Corner and Real Talk. Like, the uh, you've seen High Fidelity, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, John Cusack's ex in the movie, the, the woman that he's obsessed about the entire movie, yeah. I've never seen her anywhere else. And, and that is kind of like here, that's like a big role. And you would think that after that, she would just, you know, be, if nothing else, in you know, other romantic comedies. <laughs> but nope. And I think it's kind of like the same here. Uh, it's almost like I wouldn't say that it's a, a reflective of the quality of their work. It's just that maybe that, that weekend, it just happened that there were just too many similar actresses <laughs> applying for the same role. And then she just kind of didn't have, she didn't luck out. And then before you know it, she was out of the queue and back to the, to the start point, you know, it kind of sucks. Like kissing a full bombs. And then you can't really put it on your resume, mm-hmm. but David Schwimmer could have like done her a solid, and at least book her a, an arc on friends. She could date Joey. Yeah. I mean, obviously, and it looks like she hasn't made a movie since 2007, so it seems like it was a, a quick trip to the acting field. Uh, all right, so let's just, you know, the tried and true source of Wikipedia. This is how they break it down. Max, an alpha male, commitophobic sports broadcaster, and Jay, a neurotic novelist, have been best friends since childhood. Jay has just broken up with his girlfriend, Natasha, and is writing his first book about their relationship in Milan, Italy. Jay sets Max up with his editor, Samantha. Although they share a few interests, they are engaged within two weeks. Still, when Max is confronted with the fact that Sam will be the last woman he sleeps with, he proposes a test 
Jay will hit on Sam. If she shows no interest, then Max will be confident enough in her loyalty to go ahead with the marriage. However, while Jay doesn't want to do it, the two realize they are obviously made for each other. I mean, that is just a 90s rom-com <laughs> and a fucking tortilla right there. I tell you what. <laughs> well, it's it's that summary, though, it kind of omits one of the coolest parts of this movie, which is that it's a rom-com, but it's also, uh, uh, what do you call this? Uh, a rom-mist? Uh, a rostery? Romstery? A, a romantic mystery, because you don't know <laughs> who the groom is. That's like the movie yes. positions everything as if you know that that Samantha is getting married, but all the shots hide the face of the groom. And I mean, you've seen the poster, you know, it's either maybe Schwimmer or Jason Lee, but they look similar enough from the back that you can't tell. And uh, part of the, the I mean, light- they are white after all. <laughs> yes. They all fucking look alike. <laughs> yeah. White, tall, lanky. And. Um, so but part of the, the joy of the journey of this movie is trying to figure out if it's a story about Ross Geller, David Schwimmer, uh, becoming a better man so that he earns the love of this woman and the right to marry her, or if it's about Jason Lee overcoming his depression and realizing that he's in love with his with his best friend's fiance. And either either way, it's like it's gonna be it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a fun ride. But uh, I like that. I mean, you don't really know until the very end which way it goes. Or could you tell? Like, did you did you know at some point that who who was the groom? No, because I was about to say it mixes even if that plot wasn't '90s enough for you. It's uh, you know, we're four years removed, but we're still using the Forrest Gump trope, baby. It's a story <laughs> being told. Yep. So, you know, we're learning this all in real time. The wedding itself is happening, you know, what what is supposed to be in real time and all this other shit is uh recounting of the past, because Bonnie Hunt is our tour guide here and she leads us through the journey of these three lives. Yeah. Bonnie Hunt is uh second only maybe to Morgan Freeman as a narrator. Like if you're gonna have somebody walk you through the plot of a movie, Bonnie Hunt is top-notch, like one of the top choices. Do you know her mostly from Jerry Maguire, like I do? Or do you just know her as character actress Bonnie Hunt? I mean, if I could quote something she said in a movie, it would be from Jerry Maguire, but I've seen her in plenty of other things, too. Jumanji. Jumanji, she's in. She was in Beethoven. Um <laughs> What else was she in? The Bonnie Show. <laughs> yeah, was she the one that uh, was in the Cheaper by the Dozen movies with Steve uh, Steve Martin? Yes. Yeah, she's been she's been around for a while. She's one of those faces of the '90s that you don't really forget. So she's telling us the story, and like we already gave the backstory here about Jason Lee and David Schwimmer, friends since childhood, but they have the kind of their different beats, as we mentioned. Uh, David Schwimmer is this ladies' man who works for WGN. He's a sportscaster. We get a uh, Sammy Sosa cameo here in the beginning, which would have been uh, a pretty big deal at the time as in, oh, shit, I think it was the 98 season when Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire got into Okay, so, Julio, there's a sport in America called baseball where, Uh like, uh, You have a stick and you hit a ball, right? Um, <laughs> I'm almost positive it was 98. I love and that you're telling was, me all this like we didn't do Moneyball three episodes ago. Well, we didn't talk about fucking Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa in that. 
I'm joking with you about everything. I always joke with you about American <laughs> shit because, you know, you're an immigrant. So I got to I got to teach you how it works. Yeah. OK, so it was a, a home run record that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were competing for. Sammy Sosa, of course, played for the Cubs and Mark McGuire played for the St. Louis Cardinals. And these guys were just fucking humming them out of the field constantly. It was one of those things of like when it would kind of dominate some of the sports news cycles, like their numbers were climbing up and shit. And of course, you know, this was still when guys were able to kind of cycle up and learn how to beat drug, <laughs> drug tests and shit like that. So <laughs> when it used to be better, mind you, these guys were humming them all the way over the fence, but it was, that was like a pop culture phenomenon during that time period was those two guys. Like they were on the covers of like all the magazines you could think of. And in a lot of ways, just because, I mean, that's what people want to see when they watch baseball as a home run. And so these guys were just both acing that and becoming celebrities beyond just baseball. Like they were household names during that time period. Um, so this would have been a, a pretty big cameo for this. And, you know, he was the biggest Chicago Cub at the time. So I did kind of just like, ah, Sammy Sosa. Uh, <laughs> Lending legitimacy to, to this project. Exactly. But we quickly learned that Ross is just, or excuse me, Max is this massive womanizer. Like I said, a poon hound. He's just kind of <laughs> sniffing it out everywhere he goes. And that's that's what drives Mr. Geller day to day. Uh, and yeah, I just popped this in earlier. Uh, Julio, we both watched the, the Blu-ray of this, which you uh, graciously added to the, the Contrarians collection. It really is just kind of a purchase on demand type thing because there's no menu, no special features, anything like that. But I didn't know anything about it beforehand. I didn't even take a look at the back of the box art. So I didn't know it was rated R. And I just heard Ross saying fuck over and over. I was like, oh, fuck. What's going on? <laughs> that is brilliant, subversive casting, right? Because when you were explaining who the, the characters were, wouldn't you expect David Schwimmer to play the neurotic writer? And Absolutely. Jason Lee to play that. Yeah. So that's pretty brilliant that they switch it and that it works because we've seen during the Friends Travaganza what happens when one of the one of the friends tries to play against type and it doesn't work. Matt LeBlanc, we're looking at you. But here, <laughs> David Schwimmer, he's as far away from Ross Geller as he could be, and it actually mm -hmm. works. It works because if it didn't work, then the movie wouldn't work. You know, you have to cast him. And to think that Doug Ellen and his team took that chance. <laughs> I'm so glad that, well, I was going to say, I'm glad it paid off, but I guess it didn't because the movie bombed. Um, I wonder if audiences were just not, they were not ready to handle it. To see Ross from Friends so changed, <laughs> R-rated Ross, I thought that he was a lot of fun. Yeah, you definitely said it. It, it subverts your expectations because he's, you know, he kind of gets paranoid later in the movie, which is kind of Ross-like, but yeah, he's just a prick in this and it's pretty surprising <laughs> he's a bro alex uh and that is maybe my my biggest like, appreciation for the movie is that these days we don't get enough bro comedies and i'm not saying that you know bro culture is uh i understand why it's kind of fading away and it's become like you know it's non-pc to act like a bro but the charm of the bro comedies is that they kind of chronicle the process of a bro becoming less of a bro. And that's what happens to David Schwimmer in this movie, right? He is, he's kind of like an off-putting character, just very crass and just, 
disrespectful of women and uh, pretty shallow. And then through what happens in this story, he comes out a better man. And it's like, we need those kind of stories. <laughs> we need we need more David Schwimmers learning the error of their ways and just learning uh, to respect their friends and their lovers. So uh, it's kind of a shame that Doug Ellen didn't pump more of these out before we lost him to HBO for several years. And uh, as far as I know, he hasn't he hasn't made any movies since, right? I mean, since the, the Entourage movie. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the era of the bro comedy might have come to an end for good. You can lie, cheat, or steal, huh? but never sleep with your best friend's girl. I need a test. Unless he gives you permission. How could you ask me to try and sleep with your fiance? Kissing a fool, rated R, starts Friday. As we mentioned, Jay, Jason Lee, sets uh, Max, David Schwimmer, up with his uh, editor, Samantha. They go out on this date, and the morning after, at like 6 a.m., David Schwimmer's hair is just immaculate for 6 a.m. It's ridiculous. (laughs) They both show up at Jason Lee's apartment and give these conflicting tales of the night before on this date. And it's just like this prank they play. They they show up just talking about how awful the other ones were. And uh, but it's just to kind of get a rise out of him. And then we find that they are just like smitten with each other. They're over the moon about one another. Uh, Is this a funny prank, Julio? To those of us watching. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I I had no sympathy for the Jason Lee character. Um, I understood where he was coming from. You know, hard. sometimes you know breakups just really destroy you. And in this case, obviously, he's been in a really bad one. But I I also wanted him to just snap out of it. I'm like, we're in a movie. Come on, man. And so I I really enjoyed these moments where the movie just really. Uh, uh, poked fun of him where he was the butt of the joke you know because that's the other thing jason lee i usually think of uh him playing smart ass characters and he would be the one playing the prank so again you know it's like that's a version of expectations it's not just david schwimmer who who transformed himself who transformed his image jason lee also kind of got rid of his smart ass persona and and now he's just the guy that everybody makes fun of and and it works. Like I, I think that the reason that it's a funny prank is because of Jason Lee's reaction to it. First, he's angry whenever David Schwimmer starts telling him what happened. Then he feels bad because he feels responsible. And then he is confused when uh, Samantha shows up and gives him a different story. And then he is nervous when he basically is put in a position where he has to choose between his his editor and his best friend. And then he is kind of not even indignant, but more like, it looks like a little hurt when they reveal that they were just fucking with him. All that, all that is funny to watch because Jason Lee can pull it off. Was it was it just too uh too real for you to find it funny, Alex? I guess I just didn't kind of get what the payoff was. Like it's not like at any point he got a bucket of water dumped on his head or something. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't about the destination, Alex. It was about the the journey. Just I suppose. They Emotionally, they just raked them through the coals. Uh, it wasn't about a belly laugh, but a knowing smile. Yeah, it was just like a, a nod at the end when they're like, see, we got you. And actually, what, did you think it was funny just to see? Because uh, this is only like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes into the movie. They already established Max, the Ross Geller character, <laughs> the David Schwimmer character, as this type of guy that you wouldn't expect to get all lovey-dovey with a woman 
you know, to think beyond sex, to just actually say, oh, I'm in love with her. And uh, this whole sequence ends with him acting like a teenager that just fell in love for the first time. And I thought that was also really funny just to see that switch kind of like well, be turned from a far more like interesting perspective of like filmmaking. And this isn't the only time this happens in the movie, but this is we see our characters telling their version of events while keeping in mind Bonnie Hunt is telling us this. Yes. So this is like inception levels of shit here. Dude, I was uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I had it like later on. Uh but yeah, this the the above, you know, on top of everything else that this movie is about, it really kind of low key is about storytelling because you're right, like the entire movie is being told by Bonnie Hunt. And Bonnie Hunt as a as a narrator kind of like fucks with the structure of the story because she could just explain the 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 movie in a more straightforward manner you know if it, the whole conceit is that she's telling the story to this couple that's sitting with her at the wedding mm-hmm. and there are easier ways to tell the story or more straightforward ways to tell the story but they wouldn't be as entertaining as what we're watching and they wouldn't keep the mystery of who's the one that's getting married which is funny because obviously the couple that she's talking to they know who the groom is <laughs> and so the movie never treats her story as as a mystery even though to us who are experiencing it on the outside is a mystery uh, so i thought that, that was pretty clever and you're right there's several instances in the movie where a character will start telling a story and it becomes a story within a story Oh, I introduced the bride and groom. So you know the whole story. Oh my God, I, I've been dying to hear about this. That's true. She called the bride 10 times. Hasn't got one call back. I'm sure. Yeah. But Lynn, tell us the story. Hmm. I don't know. You don't know it? She doesn't know it. Oh no, I know it. She doesn't know it. You know the whole thing. You don't know it. No, I know it. I'm responsible for it. A wild Judy Greer appears here, making her film debut, uh, looking quite lovely, as I mentioned, though. She really does it for me as Karen and Halloween kills. <laughs> so it'd take a few years for it to fully flush out. But again, okay, so we got kissing a fool, Halloween kills, Halloween 2018, Elizabeth town, three Kings, what a, three Kings. Uh, yeah. She's just been around the contrarians block, so to speak several times and God bless her for it. Um, yeah. She was in her uh, early to mid twenties here, but of course playing, uh, I'm not sure. Do you think like a, a teen or like, are we talking like 17, 18, 19? I wouldn't say 18, 19. Cause she's, if she's a teenager, like if she's still in high school, then the Samantha character is a little irresponsible <laughs> about, about the, the liberties that she's given her, her younger cousin. I want to say she's just like a young adult, like a really young adult. That's come to the city to stay with her cousin. Uh, Andrea is her name. She wants to go by Dre. Uh, and yeah, I mentioned the the Dreamcast chic look that she's got going on here. She just is kind of popping in and out throughout the remainder of the movie. Uh, we get a Madden 97 standee as the relationship is moving <laughs> along with uh, Max and Sam. They're moving in together. Max is moving into Sam's place. He has a, a standee for the Madden 97 game, which... I guess, yeah, that would have been on Sony PlayStation, Sega Genesis. There was that really weird era, like when the PlayStation first came out, where there were still being games released. Like like now it's just fucking Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. That's basically how you play your games. And you have mobile games and shit, but it's like, for example, the game we're talking about here, 
Madden 97 was released on Game Boy, Sega Genesis, Sony PlayStation, Sega Saturn, Super Nintendo, <laughs> and uh, Windows. Well, which version do you think Ross owns in this movie? Oh, Ross seemed like he was well off and wanted to show it. So in 98, having a Sony PlayStation was still like a status thing in late 97, 90, early 98. I got my PlayStation in, for Christmas in 1998. And that it would still felt like a pretty big deal at the time. That That is a Chandler line. So tying it into the Friends thing, that's something I remember from Friends is... Uh, when Phoebe is going to have Giovanni Ribisi's baby. Uh-huh. I think that was like in 97 when that season was happening. And she says to the group, I'm going to give them the greatest thing you can give a person. <laughs> and Chandler goes, you're going to give them a Sony PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous ad placement. But Ro- <laughs> yeah, Max definitely had a PlayStation and he only used it to like play CDs through his TV. <laughs> so. They're moving in together. They're basically becoming like this thruple where they they all spend time together uh, all the time planning this wedding together. We find out that Jay, Jason Lee, had previously dated uh, Vanessa Angel of Kingpin fame, who plays is it Natasha. Is that her name mm-hmm. in this movie? Who went on to become a model. They find her in a magazine when they're looking at uh, potential wedding dresses. This is in my notes here. I said, oh, this is rated RR because there's this <laughs> big speech that David Schwimmer gives Jason Lee about, you know, she fucked you over and left you. And, you know, I don't want to know what love is. He says fuck like five <laughs> times throughout it. He sounds like you and me recording this, Julio. What you need to do is remember that she treated you like a piece of shit. Don't start with me. She did. OK, she was unsupportive. She was a liar. Jay, she was a fucking whore. How many times did she cheat on you? Look, Max, you didn't know her like I knew her. Okay, so you can't possibly understand. But it's true. It's like what I was saying earlier, right? Uh, I understand the heartbreak that Jason Lee is going through. It's got to suck to be dumped by somebody. That How long were they dating? I think two years, right? That's what he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so to put that match in a relationship and then kind of have the rug pulled out from under you. And then you see her in a magazine and she's successful and she's gone on to like do exactly what she said she was going to do after she dumped you. Uh, meanwhile, he's still kind of like fucking around with his, with his book. And uh, so I understand. Right. But I am glad that there was somebody like David Schwimmer in this movie that could just look at his body and tell him, Hey, it sucks, but you need to, you need to grow up. You need to get over it because this movie is only 90 minutes. God damn it. And, Things need to be. We don't need. We don't have time for, for the Jason Lee character to mope around for too long. So it was just. Mm. I was a hundred percent on the David Schwimmer side here. I'm like tough love, man. You need to get out of it because you know Jason Lee goes. He locks himself in the bathroom and he's like having a meltdown. And that was my my empathy went with the David Schwimmer character who's trying to plan a wedding. <laughs> you know, there's there are concrete things that are happening here and. Was did you have a the opposite experience? Were you more in tune with Jason Lee and his his depression, his like moping around? No, no, I was I was with Ross. Just snap the fuck out of it, dude. We're men. We're bros. Well, especially if he had like a year to already get over it. Yeah, I was just like, all right, come on, pull it together, man. You're Jason Lee. <laughs> you weren't chasing Amy. <laughs> 
I, I didn't catch up until this point in the movie that um, Max Ross has a catchphrase, which is what up? Yep. That's what he says to everybody. <laughs> I thought that was tremendous. They really lean into it, too. That's why I noticed it here, because like a girl comes up. He's like, what up? Sometimes he's sometimes he's a little distracted and he just goes, what up? And he keeps. Going. Yeah. He's like uh, he's like the Ram. He's like one of the wrestlers in the wrestler that just kind of has to keep up appearances everywhere he goes. And yep. then just depending on his mood, it, you know, it changes. We need 20 years from this where Max is working at the deli counter in a supermarket. <laughs> Some guy just comes up. What up? <laughs> David Schumer punching the the meat slicer. Yeah, just shoves his thumb in it. Oh, Rachel. <laughs> Max becomes paranoid after having sex and realizing this is the last person he's going to have sex with that, uh, you know, maybe she would cheat on him. She be, he becomes paranoid about that. And then Jay puts the thought in his head that, you know, she could potentially be attracted to other people. So he gets the bright idea that he's going to set up the scenario and he asks Jay to make a move on Sam to see if she's trustworthy or not, because he's he's going to go away for a few days and, you know, wants to see how this works out and. This leads to a ton of anxiety from Jason Lee just because he doesn't want to be in the situation to begin with. And then on top of that, Bonnie Hunt, who is, you know, works at the publishing agency of his book where Jay and his editor Sam work. She pushes the book release date up by six weeks, which is pretty fucking intense. So Jay and Sam are going to have to spend more time together. Uh, I said Max was going to leave town. Uh, that that comes here momentarily, but the whole idea is that he wants Jason Lee to make a move on his girlfriend to see if you know she's worthy or not. Now, Alex, is this is this a great idea or is it a terrible idea? It's stupid. <laughs> but but for a movie, it's a great idea. I guess it's also it's the same shit of like like it's uh, it, it needs the jackass disclaimer of like do not try this at home. Like it's the same shit of like having a three way with a girl you're dating with like one of your best friends and expecting like nothing weird to come of it. So chasing Amy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To be honest, he he probably would have been better off just having a three way with them and then you know just letting the cards fall where they may. Here he's like <laughs> trying to get them emotionally invested in one another, not just like from a carnal perspective. Uh, you you always like to point out how how dumb men are, and this is maybe <laughs> yes. Prime example of, uh, you know, he breaks it down. Uh, David Schwimmer breaks down the, the the logic behind the scheme, and he's like, "Well, this is this is how I know for sure because I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. So if she doesn't cheat on me with you, then I know that that's <laughs> it's all going to work out." And Jason Lee, I mean, he is appalled by the idea, but also he, uh, so he it, the way that he ends up kind of agreeing to it is like, well. If I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Yeah. Which is, I, I, I don't know. It, it it doesn't seem like sound logic. I, the, the thing is, I, I think that they're both acting really dumb. And it's great. I mean, yes. that's that's why it's a comedy. It's just delicious to see them be so stupid. And, and both of them talk themselves into thinking that they're doing the right thing. Like even Jason Lee, he's like, oh, I'm disgusted by this. But but you know what? I'm going to do the right thing and do it that way nobody else does it. it, it it's just they're both idiots. And we know that it, this is going to blow up in their faces. So that's why it's so good. Yeah. it It's such a dumb white dude idea of like, hey, man, develop feelings for my wife and see what happens. <laughs> 
Uh, during all this, we get Jason Lee trying stand up because why not? <laughs> you ever hate your ex-girlfriend so much that you wish she was dead? I appreciated the the realism of this scene because he sucks and he would suck. You you wouldn't expect a, a first timer to just get up there and be great, and instead he he bombs so he does hard. Suck, yeah, yeah it's awful. Uh, the only person that's kind of cheering him on is uh, Samantha. Even uh, David Schwimmer was just like, "Man, you were terrible." And uh, <laughs> I think the funniest thing is that Jason Lee doesn't care. Like he knows he sucks, and he's like, "That that that was still awesome." <laughs> Did he say that it's better than sex? Yeah, he said it was a rush. And yeah, because he hasn't had sex in like a year or something. And then because Max is like, oh, you're starting to remember sex, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, he's uh Jason Lee clearly needs to get laid if he thinks that bombing on stage is as good as sex. So Max has to Detroit. He's going to cover the Tigers versus the Cubs. And he tells Jay, now is the chance. Go bone my wife. <laughs> and <laughs> my fiance fiance excuse me and he just kind of pushes it on him and they end up going out dancing and drinking and having a good time um man i I understand it only been four years but did they learn nothing from pulp fiction (laughs) taking another man's woman out dancing never leads to anything good uh he's just lucky sam didn't find his heroin in his pocket Uh, (laughs) she found something else she found his heart. She, oh, swish. But they're out at this club and Natasha, Vanessa Angel shows up and uh, she's there with one of her model boyfriends. So Sam poses as Jay's fiance. So they kind of, you know, work to make her jealous. And they go back home. Uh, Judy Greer's heading out uh, for the night. Uh, probably one of the lines I laughed hardest at is... Sam stops her and says, you know, it's almost midnight. And Judy Greer says, I've been able to tell time since I was 11. I I thought that was just incredible because she says it so confidently, yep. you know. Uh, Jason Lee goes into the bathroom to give himself a pep talk. He says, go out there, finish your drink. <laughs> Not too quickly, but quickly. Thank you for a good night. Go home, jack off. And that's all you're going to do. <laughs> but then the problem is when he comes out of the bathroom, she's she hasn't OD'd. She's still there waiting for him to make a move. Yeah, she's there and wants to talk about her fucking feelings. And he's just <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> they go on this spiel about, you know, how do you know about your feelings? How do you know if they're real before you can confirm they're real or not? They talk about, you know, I wasn't in love with this person. Da, 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 da. He proffers then the $64,000 question is you know how do you know your feelings are real and I had heard that expression so many times that I actually took the time this this go around to look it up the $64,000 question was an American game show broadcast on primetime CBS (laughs) from 1955 to 1958 little window of time which we've talked about the impact of shit at that time when there wasn't a thousand TV shows because remember during the Fred Stravaganza when we talked about Lost in Space, that was only on TV for like three years, but it has like this huge legacy and similar no competition. to this. Exactly. The $64,000 question is like part of the American lexicon. 
And it's the second time that I can think of off the top of my head this has been referenced in a movie that we've done because uh, Rex Manning says the $64,000 question in Empire Records. Used to be better, man. So, so they what almost are embrace- going to quote 20 years from now? <laughs> Avengers Assemble? God help us. <laughs> so they almost kiss. Uh, Judy Greer coming back up the stairs accidentally interrupts them. Uh, Jay goes back home, does a little bit of drinking. He's also taking medicine because he's not feeling well. He gets contacted by Natasha, who asks him to come to her hotel. Shows up there, starts making out with uh, Vanessa Angel in a scene that I kind of realized quickly into it. Sarah, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall, just completely ripped off <laughs> because you know he's got this smoking hot ex girlfriend that's trying to have sex with him, and he just quickly realizes like I'm not into this. Yeah, and, uh, uh, so forgetting Sir Marshall went a little surprisingly. Forgetting Sir Marshall went a little more graphic in the depiction of this scene because this, the, I guess the, the twist, the novelty of this scene is that he starts, I guess, hallucinating. He sees Samantha on one end of the room, and then he sees David Schwimmer in the other end of the room, and they're kind of providing commentary to his failed uh, mm-hmm. uh, attempt at sex. Uh, forgetting Sir Marshall just went straight up to. Uh, Kirsten Bell trying to give Jason Segel a blowjob and it not working. Uh, I prefer the Doug Ellen uh, approach. A little more classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's the nostalgia that that quote was talking about. The nostalgia for for better times in romantic comedies. And they had some <laughs> class. So yeah, he ends up getting up and leaving. He just, he can't do it. Uh, he goes and he calls Max at his hotel in Detroit. Uh, he finds out that Max had another girl there and was he was cheating after all the concern and whatnot. He he's the one that ended up cheating. So Jay just spends the day drinking, getting drunk because he doesn't really know what to do with himself. Uh, Max returns to Chicago, confronts Jay at his apartment and just says, you know, you can't tell her. He asks, well, is it out of your system now? And he still can't answer because he doesn't know. Uh, but he also finds out through this that, you know, he's developed feelings for uh, Sam so he wants to they both go over to Sam's apartment it's basically like this moment of truth that somehow turns into them fucking having this awkward ass dinner together <laughs> it's the dinner of the Oscar clips always action going on in Detroit isn't there as a matter of fact I hear there's all sorts of action going down at the Detroit Marriott isn't that right you want to shut the fuck up am I missing something no what happened in Detroit? Nothing happened in Detroit. It sounds like something did. Well, nothing did. He's drunk, okay? He's been drinking an awful lot lately. He's right. Max, did something happen in Detroit? No, nothing. How, how the hell does this get turned on me all of a sudden? What? God damn it, Sam. Jay thinks you're attracted to him. Judy Greer, I know, is like stealing the scene just because she's sitting there she doesn't even have any lines. She's just reacting to everything going on. And the camera just kind of it cuts back to her every once in a while. And she's, you know, smiling or <laughs> eyeing people up and down and stuff. But in this, like, Jay ends up professing his love to Sam. And Max thinks it's all just like a prank. He thinks they're getting him back. Mm-hmm. And he tells her, I love you. And then they kiss. And it's like one of the most awkward kisses you will ever see. <laughs> well, because, you know. David Schwimmer is there watching. Can't really relax. Well, and then, 
Yeah, that and because Sam like is like looking up at him and it's just kind of like this weird cuck style porn where it's like, <laughs> what what is going on here? <laughs> Some people are into that. <laughs> Some people are. No kidding. We do not kink shame here on the contrarian. So, you know, do what you got to do. But doesn't mean that I have to be comfortable watching it in my, my films. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, the same kind of people that put forth the idea of like, hey, maybe you should try to fuck my wife to see if she's actually if she really loves me. This all leads to a big three way breakup where what happens? Jay ends up moving to New York. Max moves out of uh, the house with Sam and the three of them are just not speaking to each other at all. So Jay's book becomes a bestseller. Is that what happens? Yeah. And then there's some book that he had given Max previously. I thought it was the Bible at first. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and uh, it was not. It's some, I believe, a French book, if I'm not mistaken. But he reads it and it speaks to him. So he ends up bringing Sam and jay back together and then we learn through this that we're at sam and jay's wedding because max gives the best man toast he parent traps him does yes <laughs> there's a that's a new girl joke but i i'll happily honor it and steal it uh because yeah he so jason lee thinks that he's going to have dinner with david schwimmer and samantha thinks she's going to have dinner with david schwimmer but then it turns out that no they're having dinner with each other that's how you do it. That's how you redeem yourself <laughs> after 90 minutes of being an ass. Jason Lee took this to Cameron Crowe two years later. He's like, hey, I got this idea for the end of it. What if it <laughs> makes it seem like William and Russell are both going to be with Penny, but it doesn't happen that way? Or we know it just seems like Russell's going to be with Penny, but he ends up with William. Big Crow goes, wait, wait, wait. Like in Kissing a Fool, right? <laughs> <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so yeah they end up getting married and then we find out that jay's new book is called julio kissing a fool he, i guess jay is a kind of writer that can only do autobiography he doesn't really go into fiction uh no but hey it works out perfectly because we don't even need a title card at the end of the movie. We we know what the fucking name of the movie is. Were you relieved, Alex, that the movie at the end implies that David Schwimmer is going to hook up with Bonnie Hunt instead of hooking up with uh, Judy Greer? Yes. Like I, I was like, let's keep the camera on Schwimmer and Hunt here and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's oh man, Bonnie Hunt can handle him. Whether he changes his ways or not, Bonnie Hunt will will have that situation under control. I am 100% confident in that, yes. Give me that sequel. What would it be called? Dominating a fool? <laughs> Cucking a fool? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anyway, that was a perfectly serviceable 90s rom-com. Did it tickle your nostalgia bone? No, I don't really get where that came from. <laughs> uh, well, but now, now it does. Uh, it it wasn't that good. It wasn't good enough for me to be like waxing poetic about the good old days, the bygone era. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's time for to. I think it's time to go to real talk. Just see how much we liked or disliked this movie. Let's discuss one Ross Geller. She's not from England. I thought she was. No, you didn't. It's just that England's the only country in Europe you know of. <laughs> 
Yeah, besides, you know, she's been here so long. What up? Yeah. She's been here so long, she's basically been Americanized. Really? You, uh, you Americanize her? What? You know, bang her. Why would I set you up with some girl that I bang? Share the wealth, brother. You know, I bang Xena. I like the hood and the cane. That's me. My question to you is, what is wrong with her? You know, if this girl is so great, why haven't you banged her yet, Jay? Neanderthal, she's my editor. My book is about my ex-girlfriend. She knows every intimate detail. So? Besides, I'm in a mourning period. I can't even think about another woman. See, you say shit like that to me, it makes me seriously question your orientation. Okay? What, you've never been in a mourning period where you just didn't want to have sex? No. 